From the Credit Union National Association, this is the CUNA News Podcast. Credit Union people, credit union ideas. I'm Jennifer Wolt, Senior Editor with Credit Union Magazine. This week's guest is Sarah Gibson, an author, speaker, corporate trainer, and president of Accent Learning and Consulting. Sarah works with organizations, including credit unions, about the changing generations in the workplace, issues that may arise, and how to bridge gaps and bring people together. I spoke with Sarah after her recent visit to Madison, Wisconsin, where she addressed students at CUNA Management School about how to effectively communicate with multiple generations in the workplace. Why are we still talking about the generational piece? I mean, multiple generations have been working together in, in a work environment for as long as anybody can still remember. So, so why is this still something that we're talking about today? Or why are we putting so much more emphasis on it? That is a great question. And I think one of the pieces that's really interesting is there's this crazy quote, and it's attributed to Socrates, and it talks about the young people of today think of nothing but themselves, and they have no reverence for parents or old age. And it kind of goes on and on. You're like, oh, that's a generational piece, and that's like 400 BC. So why is this new? Um, I think it's it's not new, and I've been talking about it for 15 years, and I, I kind of expect that the conversation will go away, but it actually grows, and it gets bigger, and I think we're still talking about it for a couple of reasons. One is a huge demographic shift in our workplaces. So in the U.S., we've seen a transition from baby boomers to millennials, and we're at about 50% of our full-time workforce being millennials, those under the age of 35. Um, some people call them Generation Y, so you can interchange millennial and generation Y. So that's one big factor. We've got about 50%, and that transition continues. So there's a lot of predictions and research, and if you go out to Harvard Business Review and other resources, they'll say as much as 75% of our workforce is going to be millennial by 2025. So that's really huge. If you think about just sheer numbers, they're, they're walking into our workplaces and they're influencing us. So that's one of the really big factors. And I think the other big factor is because they're coming in with big numbers, we thought, hey, actually, you're going to come into the workplace and, and you're going to grow up and you're going to be like other generations. And they're coming in and they have huge numbers and they're saying, um, I, don't, I don't think so. I, I think we can work remotely. I think we can do these other things. And they're advocating for big change and they have the numbers to do it. Um, and it's very similar to like baby boomers. When baby boomers came into the workplace, they said, wow, three-piece suit and tie, do we have to do that? And if you think of credit unions and financial institutions, we've relaxed a lot over the years because of the baby boomer influence. So it's a similar phenomena, but it's really significant and really hitting us right now. And we're in the prime of this big transition demographically. So that's why we're still talking about it. Do you think it's something that we're going to talk about and continue to talk about is as more generations come on board as generation z grows up and gets jobs and yeah i I do i think we'll continue to talk about it and generation z is still taking shape and there's lots of kind of competing research around when does it start but generally they're under age 17 at this point so we see them entering the workforce in our part-time jobs um, and we have some research around them and and they're different than millennials. In many ways, they're the same as far as technology and pieces like that, but they're different in 
kind of financial pieces, which are significant components to that credit union realm. You mentioned credit unions. What are kind of the big generational pieces that that we talk about when we talk about multiple generations working together in a credit union environment? Yeah, I think there's a couple of big pieces. I think membership becomes a big component for us. And if you think about the boards at credit unions, oftentimes they're your baby boomers and your World War II folks still who are stepping in, who have some time to serve. They're not in the midst of their young career. They're not in the midst of raising their families. So our leadership is of different generations than a lot of times the membership we're trying to attract. So it can be somebody from an older generation approaching business from their perspective and membership from their perspective and the competition with actually somebody of a younger mindset may think about that differently. So that's one of the clashes. Um, I think another piece impacting credit unions is turnover and retention um, and thinking about how do we offer opportunities for people, especially young people who are oftentimes our customer member service folks out there, the the frontline folks impacting our membership. So that's usually a really high turnover job because it's an entry point job. So how do we keep people within the credit union realm and how do we attract um, just millennials to our credit unions in general? I think all of those components come into play and are significant for credit unions. What do what do people need to keep in mind in, in terms of how they can get along and, and get the most productivity and, and be an effective leader or employee when when dealing with a coworker who or a manager who's who's not from your generation. We talk a lot about how do we come together as teams and how do we function well and appreciate the differences we bring. So it's kind of like communication styles. Everybody has a different communication style. It's understanding that style and then approaching that person in a way that's most effective. So a couple of workplace clashes include things like Gen X managers tend to be very hands-off. They tend to be uh, of the expectation that their employees are going to figure things out on their own. And millennials will come into the workplace and they want a lot of feedback. And so the difference there is pretty clear as far as the Gen Xer is very, hey, you take care of this. And the millennial comes in and says, hey, I did step A. And the Xer's like, why didn't you do B, C, and D? Not because the millennial's not capable of it, but because they want feedback and they want to make sure that they're doing things to the standard of the Gen X manager. And so sometimes the clash is just in our perception of why you're approaching me and why we're having this conversation when I think you should just run with it and you feel like I'd I'd really like some feedback. Um, So that's one example. Another one is uh, thinking about baby boomers. There were a lot of them in the workplace, about 80 million at any given point. And so what ended up happening is they tend to be very cautious about sharing their knowledge. And so they will come along and they'll have a younger employee come up to them and say, hey, tell me about this process. And the reality is that Boomer is thinking, oh, I I can share some of that information with you, but if I give away all of my knowledge, I lose my value as an employee. I lose my competitive edge. And so I'm going to share some knowledge with you, but I'm going to hold on to some of that knowledge. And sometimes that is perceived as you're purposefully sabotaging me when the reality is that Boomer is actually just really been raised in a competitive environment where you didn't show all of your cards when you're playing a game. You made sure that you always had one or two things that that you 
kept close to the vest in that process. And you talk about communication styles, and that brings up a great point of some millennials, some maybe even a little bit of Generation Z that are coming up, they find it hard to talk to a person. Like, they would rather prefer to send out text messages rather than just pick up the phone and call a person to figure out, hey, where are we meeting for dinner tonight, you know, kind of thing. How do we get past that? Yeah, and I think that's really a perception piece more than a reality piece. Oh, really? I, 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 that's my, been my experience, and that's what I've seen when I have talked with millennials and had millennials through sessions and conferences. They come in, they'll say, you know, people always stereotype us. Yes, we text because it's efficient, and we can text a super quick thing, and I'm not interrupting you uh, rather than calling you. But what they're saying and what they're talking about is actually that face-to-face piece is really important to us. We want face-to-face conversations, and we'd rather have that over an email. <laughs> so, again, it, it's partially perception, and it's also partially on all of us to just lay out what our expectation is. Like, I really need you to call me about these types of things, or I need a face-to-face conversation about this. And I think that that's different than older generations. We had this understood, this implicit knowledge about you call at this time and you text at this time. Well, we didn't text, but you call and, you know, you meet face-to-face here and you can email for this. I think those types of conversations have had to become more explicit and Younger folks are happy to have a conversation with you. They they thrive on relationship, but we have to outline when that's important and how it looks and maybe do a little bit of coaching through the harder conversations, which I think we've all had to be coached through no matter what our generation is. How does that generational management style and feedback impact retention? And, and how do we try to attract new employees to keep them in um, when you're bringing them into a, 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 an environment that's made up of boomers and Generation X and millennials. and Yeah, and I, I think that there's, it, it's really interesting because some organizations have gone through a full transition and they're mostly younger workers and there are other places that uh, have had really loyal employees and there hasn't been a a lot of turnover, and so all of a sudden they're all of a sudden experiencing this turnover piece and going, oh, like, this is totally new. Um, and I think that the management style comes into play based on how often we communicate with one another and what we communicate about. Um, those are big ones. So do we communicate regularly and give feedback regularly? Uh, a lot of employees, especially younger folks, kind of want that real-time feedback. And for older managers, it feels a little bit like, wow, all I do is give feedback. So oftentimes I'll talk with teams about you need to make sure that you kind of set your parameters. So let's do regular check-ins, and that check-in is going to be once a week. You know, we're going to have a teller meeting, um, and we're going to touch base and just talk about any issues that are facing you. Individually, I, you know, if you've got questions for me, I want you to save all those questions and then come back to me at X points in this project. Um, and so we can kind of set up the parameters so we don't feel like we're being bombarded with the need to provide feedback all the time, but we're providing feedback in a way that makes sense to that younger employee. So I think that that's one component. And and this just kind of came into my head. We, you talked earlier about baby boomers and kind of holding a lot of their knowledge kind of close to their vest because they thought that that kind of, you know, kept them valuable, I guess, Yeah. at their organization. How do you kind of 
give them that nudge when when they are approaching retirement to you know say hey it's okay to share your knowledge with joe you know that transfer of knowledge because we we know you're not going to be here but we want to still do the same things you're doing and and have that same kind of wealth of knowledge that you've built up over a long career how do you kind of give them that nudge and make them realize that hey it's okay yeah and i i have struggled with that question and thought about that question for a long time and talked with folks, I think that there's a really strong component of trust involved. If the boomer trusts the manager, if the boomer trusts their team, transferring knowledge is not an issue. But if there has been any type of organizational, you know, upheaval where they feel like, oh my goodness, like I saw so-and-so get not get the shaft, but ultimately, you know, they were kind of phased out of their program. They were phased out of their work. There is a really strong sense of I have to hold on to this. So I think that there's a bigger cultural issue piece, an organizational culture, where you have to make sure that folks trust one another in that component. And then generally the boomers are happy to share their knowledge if they trust that when they do so, they're not going to be phased out. They're not going to be devalued for that. And I think the ultimate fear for all of us is we don't want to become irrelevant. And knowledge for boomers oftentimes makes them feel relevant. So we have to create space for them to always feel relevant and like they're contributing even as they share that information. It's really because of you we are thriving. It's because of you and your knowledge that our team is going to be successful after you leave. And I think building in some of that language is important. Okay. That kind of makes sense. I mean, when we look at the the boomer and, you know, their kind of personality and characteristics, they really do put a lot of value on, on their job and, and what they're doing, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's been kind of their differentiation piece. You know, that's been the one thing, that driven, committed work style. When there were so many of them in the workplace, you always had to strive to show that you were making a difference and that you were valuable over another employee. And so there, there's always been this kind of under-driving competitive nature that then plays out in the knowledge transfer piece later on. So what kind of trends, employment trends related to preferences and, and those kind of characteristics of each generation are going to be impacting credit unions over the next 10 years? Yep, there's there's a couple big ones. One is the idea of a career ladder versus a career lattice. And I think that most organizations are experiencing this change. It used to be you started as a frontline teller, and then you worked up to a personal banker, and then you worked into this role, and you, you moved your way up through the chain of command. And, and the ultimate job for older generations was, hey, I got a corner office with windows, and now I am the CEO of the credit union. And that was really significant. That was the path that you took. Trends are towards a lattice which, you know, is, is kind of like a spider web. I might step up, I might step sideways. Um, and what happened was boomers occupied the career ladder and all of the rungs for so long that many others had to go sideways or they had to leave the organization in order to advance in their careers. And so I think that for credit unions, one of the important things to think about is how do we create career lattices that 
allow opportunities for people to transfer within the credit union. They start out as a teller, but then they want to try HR or they want to try operations. How do I provide skill sets that transfer between those jobs so I keep them here, not necessarily in the role that they started in? So that that's one big piece. Um, the other big trend that's impacting all organizations and all industries is the idea of the gig economy, G-I-G. Mm-hmm. So there's this sense of people people want a gig. I want to step in for six months, two years a contractor, and I want to step out. And that's challenging. I want consistent staffing. I want consistent employees. And yet statistics like the Society of Human Resource Management talks about as much as 40% of our workforce is really geared towards this gig economy. So what do we do to really strongly build a culture that's going to attract people who want to stay either in long-term contracts with us or as employees long-term? And and why is that gig um, thing so important? So important to yeah, younger I, well, generations. Interesting across generations because not just young people who like this gig economy, it's boomers who say, hey, you know what, I'm coming up on retirement, but I'm not sure what that looks like. And I'm, I might want to work a bit and earn some money for health care. So I also want to be a snowbird. So is there a gig that I could get that allows me to come back and work from March until, you know, September or March until November, but then I can take three months off and I can head south for the winter. So it's cross-generational folks that are really interested in this gig piece of things. Um, and younger folks are like, ooh, I've watched organizations not take good care of their employees, so I want to be really picky before I commit. And a gig allows me to check out an organization before stepping in permanently. And are employers kind of on board with this new We're struggling with it. (laughs) Employers are struggling to go, how does this work? What does it look like? How can we do it well? Um, And is it realistic? Because there are a lot of times where you're like, that's not even a realistic opportunity within our organization. So I, I think we're really at the beginning of this trend and trying to figure out what makes sense. We've talked a lot about generations and a lot about generations in terms of the employee-employer kind of relationship, but you mentioned even earlier on the members too. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm guessing that it's how you approach them and how you interact with them must be a little bit different for each generation. Absolutely. And and I think that, again, it's it's really in the organizational norms. Things that we kind of assume are, are norms for everybody may not be norms for a different generation. And an easy example is we think about those World War II folks, folks who are 70s and above that still come into our actual branches, and they want to be called Mr. and Mrs. And, you know, younger generations just don't do that. And it's not right or wrong. It's just been a transition across culture to be more casual in that front. So I think it's just important to help folks realize that we may communicate in different ways or we may connect in different ways. So if you have a teller who is a millennial communicating with um, somebody who is a boomer or a World War II person, it's not that they don't those older folks can't do technology or don't do technology, but to make the assumption that, oh, well, you know what, if you just filled this out online, you you could have an app on your phone and you could submit this check right now. That's one of those things that we just have to ask, what is your preference? 
you know, if you if you want to do online banking, I can walk you through that. But if you love coming into our branch and visiting every week, we're delighted that you're here. And so we have to not make an assumption that our preference is somebody else's preference in those generational pieces from a member perspective. Okay. And and even their needs are going to be different across they generations. Are. I mean, you you just kind of alluded to it. Older generations may want to come into the branch every every week to deposit a check or interact with folks, whereas some of the younger folks may never need to see the in, the inside of a branch because hey, I can do it all on my phone. I mean, right. I'm guessing there's going to be a lot of credit unions have to realize how they can still provide services and and products for for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it can be really simple things and it can be kind of complex. And then you combine it with like life stage and you think about younger people are at a life stage where I'm not connected to this town necessarily. And maybe I want to, you know, follow my dream job to Denver or wherever the hot spot is. And so how do we as credit unions think about providing long-term service over distance relationships? And so there's life stage components that play into being effective across generations as well. Okay. Even lifestyle. I don't need a car. I don't need a car. Right. Because I'm going to walk or bike or Uber or. Absolutely. I don't, I don't need a really big home loan because I'm going to have a tiny house and I'm going to live in a (laughs) tiny house community. And And I'll just, you know, drive it to place to place when I need a new city. So. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. (laughs) Um, And we, we've kind of talked at our, at the beginning of our conversation of, so much is talk is is centered around millennials and boomers and generation x but there's there's more more folks coming on up the pipeline in in generation z and they're going to be different than millennials so in you know 5 years or so we may still be having this conversation but slightly different absolutely and and the research around generation z and there's there's two terms that are kind of being thrown around for well, there's more than two, but the two popular ones are Generation Z, and the other one, from a research perspective, is Homelander, because they were the generation that were first impacted by Homeland Security, and this next generation has never known an airport that you didn't have to take your shoes off and, you know, carry less than three ounces of fluid in your bag. So, Homeland is the research term, but you'll also hear Gen X. And what we know about them already is they are more fiscally conservative. Um, I read an article just the other day, 12% of them are already saving for retirement. which I know, they're under 17 and they're saving for retirement. They're being raised by Gen X parents overall, and so they tend to be less optimistic than millennials. They tend to be a little more skeptical, a little more realistic. And... Yeah, they, they're kind of bouncing back towards more traditional thoughts and beliefs, especially around work and around financial pieces. You know, like we want to make sure that we are saving money before we actually spend the money. And so we don't want to come out of college with debt. How do we start preparing as a 13-year-old to make sure that that doesn't happen? Wow, that'll be interesting to see how it all pans out yeah. and, and what, what comes up. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and that's the fun thing about what I do is there's always more. <laughs> there's always going to be a new generation with new characteristics and traits and, and beliefs. And Absolutely. You just spoke at uh, CUNA Management School not too long ago. What, I did. What kind of message did you, did you try to leave with those students when it comes to, you know, generations? Yeah. And I think one of the things that is difficult about the topic of generations, especially from 
a leadership perspective or as an employee perspective, we are scared to talk about it because it's age-related, and all of a sudden we feel like we've stepped into this weird HR realm and we're not supposed to talk about it. And we also don't want to stereotype people, and so we kind of ignore the conversation. And I think that acknowledging that we're having this conversation because it's helpful and we are different, we're not trying to stereotype or peg people, is really important to leave people with that idea of this is a helpful tool. It it doesn't mean that every single person falls into this category, but if I'm having a clash at work and I've run through other pieces and it's not my communication style and it's not this piece and it's not this, maybe, maybe it's generational. It can provide a framework that's really helpful for just opening doors to communication. And so when I I spoke at CUNA Management School. That was one of the messages we wanted to leave folks with is it's okay to have this conversation and it's an important one because we want to be able to unite around generations and not have this topic divide us. We want it to bring us together so that we value the differences in a way that makes our team stronger. Thanks for listening to the CUNA News Podcast. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play.